it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. We've got a big Tuesday show. I mean, think about it. The President of the United States back in court. He's trying to say uh, he was immune on January 6th. You cannot prosecute him for things he did as president. He also put out the veiled threat, and I'll paraphrase. Hey, if you go ahead and try to prosecute me for what I was doing as president... Keep in mind, when I become president, Joe Biden is fair game. The way he, what he's done with the border, the way he's used in, in his words, Donald Trump's words, he's used the, the Department of Justice to go after him. It's going to come right back at you. And that's a little about what's going on. Also, when it comes to the Donald Trump court cases, listen to this. This Georgia prosecutor, this Fannie Willis, she turns out she is having an affair with a married guy, now divorced, I guess they're going through a divorce proceedings, who's a special prosecutor who was hired to look into Donald Trump and any type of election shenanigans. He was paid $653,000 from the state of Georgia to do that special prosecuting while they're having a relationship. Does any of this seem ethical to you? Oh, some of that money used to go on a Caribbean vacations, other vacations over to Europe and other places. With the with this woman. So now this uh, former executive with the Trump administration, Michael Romans, is filing a suit just to dismiss the whole thing of uh, just corruption in some legal terms. So this is getting interesting, as interesting as the caucus that's taking place. As interesting as New Hampshire the following week, which will be in New Hampshire with the show, will be in there Monday. Tuesday of the primary, and I think, Allison, you think we'll be there Wednesday, too, or we'll be coming back afterwards? Kind of interesting. I'm not sure, but the impact is substantial. Quick note, I saw the Boston, uh, the Boston Globe poll. It's got to be somewhat alarming to President Trump because in New Hampshire, he's now down to single digits lead over Nikki Haley. Why is that? Without a Democratic primary, independents, undecideds, unregistered party people are allowed to vote in the primary in which you want. You just can't vote in both. So there's no competition. Joe Biden's not even registered to go in New Hampshire. He wanted to have the first primary be South Carolina. So all these undecideds, these undeclareds, seem to be going for Haley big time. So it is now a uh, – she has picked up 17 points. So she's within single digits of Donald Trump. Now, he is up 41 to 26 nationally in the same poll. And it looks as though I haven't seen any poll that shows Ron DeSantis even in that close to him. So we'll see where we'll see how that goes. Uh, it should be interesting. Uh, uh, 2024. Probably the most disturbing thing that I've seen outside of Friday's speech was Joe Biden's speech yesterday. He goes to a at AME Church in South Carolina, the site of a horrific 2015 racially inspired shooting by this guy, Dylan Roof. Remember him? He's in life for prison. Just walked in, invited into a church, just starts shooting people because they're black. He goes in there and pretends as if he's some crazy radical activist. He actually declares in one statement you're about to hear that he founded the civil rights movement. He says he's been in more AME churches than most black people. Really? This is unbelievable amount of rewriting his own past again. 
So Joe Biden using this time, South Carolina, going to Valley Forge, democracy at stake, the, pre- the former president's a Nazi, cut one. We saw something on January 6th we'd never seen before, even during the Civil War. Insurrectionists waving Confederate flags inside the halls of Congress built by enslaved Americans. A mob attacked and called black officers, black veterans, defending the nation those vile of racist names. And yet, an extreme movement of America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president, is trying to steal history now. They tried to steal an election. Now they're trying to steal history. What are you talking about? If you want to know about history, it was the Democratic Party that was the segregationists who gave us the Jim Crow laws, who made up predominantly of the Confederacy. Do you understand that? Does he understand that? Your good buddy, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK, during your formidable days in the 70s and 80s with Senator Byrd, you spoke at his funeral. You're the one with the past that's got to be explained, number one. Number two, but with the, the uh, Congress built by enslaved Americans, really? That was necessary to add? Slavery was around when, when uh, these walls were built. They were burned to the ground late, uh, later in Washington in the War of 1812. But President Biden using this to go to an AME church inside of a horrific shooting to continue to say, look at how positive my campaign's going to be. And are you saying the MAGA Republicans? An extreme movement of in America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president. The MAGA Republicans, or the people that voted for Donald Trump, are 70 million. Nice unifying. 70 million, many of which would vote for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. And they all agree in the Make America Great attitude and mantra. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's more from President Biden. Cut to. On June 17, 2015... The beautiful souls, five survivors and five survivors, invited a stranger into this church to pray with them. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate, of rage, propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison. Poison that has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. Oh, it is. It's a poison. What's wrong with you? This is the inspirational campaign we can expect for the nine, nine months. Totally irresponsible. No wonder President Trump is surging. No wonder Nikki Haley wins by 17 points and Trump's up by four or five. Listen, when we come back, Tony Robbins is going to be joining us. Bottom of the hour, we go to the border with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and we also talk about what, would, what his Secretary of Defense was thinking when he didn't even tell his chief of staff or the President of the United States or the Secretary of State that he was going into intensive care. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back. Uh, we are talking about to Tony Robbins. Uh, he's got a new book coming out called The Holy Grail of Investing, The World's Greatest Investors Reveal Their Ultimate Strategies. He's also all pumped up because he's about to roll out the Time to Rise Summit, and this Time to Rise Summit could change your life. 
Uh, you can sign up for it every day for about two hours. You're going to get details on how to fire yourselves up. It's not there just to give rhetoric. It's not there to talk in general. It's not a matter of just getting your mindset. It's a matter of getting an action plan. That's what Tony Robbins is all about. He's a personal development expert. He's a, multi, uh, he's a multi-talented bestseller, entrepreneur, philanthropist. Uh, and as I mentioned, he's got this new book coming out soon. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks, Brian. You're the hardest working guy in media. I just was with you on Fox <laughs> You're in the morning, you're the night. I don't know when you sleep, brother. Hey, listen, I had six minutes off. I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> but, Tony, you should be talking. You already told me am I, if I could break this news. You've already jumped into your plunge pool, right? I sure as heck did. I'm freezing this morning. <laughs> right. But you seem to – do you get used to that? Well, no, you never get used to it. You never, but you train yourself not to negotiate with yourself. You don't go, okay, well, wait till I'm ready. You just go, I go, go, and you go to your mind. It, it helps because when you've done that with your mind there, it works with other areas of your life as well. All it's, right, so it's great for your health. You know, and, and the thing is, uh, for everybody right now, don't get mad at yourself. Most people do not follow through with their resolutions. And most of the reasons is because you don't have a good enough why. Why do you looking to change things? Why are you looking to better in this area? Lose weight whatever, get a better job, whatever it is, it's all about the action plan. So can we motivate people for the next 90 seconds and tell people don't get down on yourself but don't drop the resolutions yet? Yeah, well, most people have already broken them, unfortunately, Brian. Right. 91% of the people never fulfill them. And the reason you let, let on to it really importantly, most people speak, this is what I want, but they don't really have a resolution. When you resolve something, you cut off any possibility except following through. And so people don't do that because, as you said, they're missing strong enough reasons. It's one thing to say, I want to do something, but why? The why will push you through when it's difficult. But besides the why, the reasons help you get up with the answers. You also need to have the right rituals, in other words, the right plan, or it's not going to work. And so, you know, you have all these goals, but without the right rituals, my goal is lose 20 pounds, and I get up every morning, go to Starbucks, and have a mocha smoke or something. It's not going to work. So what I've done for the last, gosh, it's been four years since COVID, I saw people trapped in their homes, and I thought, how do I help people? So once a year, I do this free seminar. It's absolutely no charge. We have a million and a half people participated last year from 195 countries, and it's called Time to Rise Summit, and it's just two and a half hours a day, roughly. Instead of going to a movie, you work on your life for three days in a row, January 25th through the 27th, and we show you how to build a real plan, like a pathway to transform your body, to transform your energy, to change your business, change your finances. And because people can attend anywhere in the world from their home and their office or with their friends, it's been unbelievably popular. And as I mentioned to you, we've had, like, I just talked to a guy the other day that just got out of prison last year, and, you know, he's driving a truck. Can't see his daughter. He'd been quite, you know, difficult with women, and, and so he wasn't able to see his daughter. Transformed it. It's been less than a year since he went to this program. He did it sitting in his truck and had this experience, and now he's, got his, he's coaching. He's turned around other people. He's got a chance. Now he's got to see be with his daughter on a regular basis. I had a guy that was 700 pounds, Matt Tinsey's his name. He literally was trapped in bed for six years on oxygen, unable to move, unable to get out of bed. He went to the program. I worked with him, you know, through, you know, the Zoom process that we did here. And he lost 310 pounds, to give you an idea. Transformed right. his life, driving a car now, got his job now, moving things happen, people growing their businesses. And it all comes out of just three little days. You say, I'm going to commit two and a half, three hours a day, 2 p.m. Eastern, January 25th to the 27th, no charge. So all people got to do is go to Time to Rise Summit, the summit, time to write summit.com and get themselves registered and I can serve them on January 25th through the 27th. So the guy that popped up on television in the 1980s and, uh, and I bought you cassette tapes then, how did you work to improve yourself even if you have to have all this success 
Did you have to change your message, build on your message? If I put those tapes on today, do you subscribe to everything you were talking about then? And have you improved on it? Yeah, I think if you talk to anybody who's followed me over the last, this will be my 47th year coming up, um, it's pretty wild. The stuff I did originally is still truth is truth, but there's just, I've gotten deeper. I have more tools, more skills. Look, I run today, you know, 111 companies. We do $7 billion in business. I certainly didn't have those skills in those days. And, you know, my, my skills to help someone go from where they are to where they want to be financially, for example, I didn't have the skills, but I got them because I interviewed starting more, more than a decade and a half ago, 50 of the greatest investors in history, from Warren Buffett to Ray Dalio to Carl Icahn. Many have become friends of mine. And I've written three, three number one bestsellers in a row, two of these financial books. And now I've got this third financial book, The Holy Grail of Investing, which is based on what I learned from Ray Dalio, the most successful investor, hedge fund investor ever. He manages $195 billion. And he taught me how to get greater returns with less risk, which is the holy grail. That's what he calls it. And so we explain in the book how anybody can do it. You know, you're probably aware, Brian, that some of the best investments in the world are the investments that come from private equity. For the last 35 years, Every year, like clockwork, private equity outdoes the public markets. I'll give you an example. Most people are familiar with the S&P 500, the top 500 companies you know, that you can invest in. Well, five of those companies are 25% of the whole value of all 500, and there's only 3,600 companies you can invest in. But in private equity, they take a company. There's more than 100,000 companies that do $100 million to $3 billion. They grow those businesses and either take them public or sell them, and their profitability is insane. So here's an example. The S&P 500. You'd make 9.2% a year. That allows you to compound your money or double it about every eight years. That's pretty awesome. But if you've done it in private equity in the same time, it's 14.2% a year. 50% better every year compounded. What does that mean? It means if you put a million dollars in the stock market way back, you know, 35 years ago and never touched it, you'd have 26 million. If you took the same million and put it aside in private equity, it's worth $139 million. The problem is only wealthy people used to have access. But the reason I wrote the book is Congress, the House, just passed the laws that allow you to not have to have a million dollars and $200,000 net worth to become what they call an accredited investor. They just passed, and all the Senate's taking it up. It's bipartisan. looks like it's going to pass, where anyone can learn, take a little test, and then you have access to these investments that far out produce anything else. That doesn't stop you from right. investing in the stock market or real estate, but it allows you to have some investments that are not correlated. So when the market goes down, it doesn't affect you at the same level and a way to get your goals so much faster financially. So I interviewed 13 of the smartest people in private equity, private credit, private real estate, which sound complex, but I show people how you can actually not just get those funds. It's hard to get in the best funds, but how you can actually own a slice of those companies or a slice of your best sports team, to give you an idea of another one, or a slice of these companies that do private credit where people in 2021 were buying junk bonds to try and get 3.9%. Now we can get five, you know, on bonds. But guess what? Those are really risky. I was getting 9% on private credit, and they have less than 1% fallout. Right. Banks would die for that. So that's when people get their money today because the banks are so tight. Businesses get it there. And you get tremendous profitability, two to three times more than you do with bonds. So it's not as liquid. It's tied up for a period of time. But the best investors in the world have 46% of their money in private credit, private equity, and private uh, you know, real estate, to give you an idea. Only 29% in the public market. So you learn by the best. That's what they're doing. And I interview those people in this book as well and show you what they do. All right, so I and think all these this... people, by the way, have done – 20% or more over decades. If you can imagine the difference, you double your money every three and a half years as opposed to doubling your money, like, say, at 5%, where it takes 14 years. So this can make the difference between really retiring with plenty of capital or not. Right. 
And, and you talk about it. Ray Dalio is one of the driving forces behind it. So I just want to I also know you follow the news. You really care about the country. What worries you most as we get set for this election season? Well, I think we're all concerned about the level of division, obviously, in the country and the level of upset. Like whoever wins, half the country is going to be unhappy. But I think we've thrown our pendulum so far in one direction. I think people, the, the quiet middle is going to express itself. And I think this will be a really interesting election. I think there's no question it's going to be contentious. But I think also, you know, sometimes you have to go to extremes in order to find the balance. You know, the, I think that's what's going to probably come out of this. But I don't think we're there yet, Brian. I think it's going to yeah. take a little bit before that happens. Uh, this is what I'm hearing most, especially since the pandemic. I have a job. I have a family. But what's my purpose? Especially people listening to us right now in their 20s and 30s. When people walk yeah. up to Anthony Robbins, I know you can't even go shopping without people asking you for advice. Uh, and they say, I don't have a pur- What's my purpose? What do you tell them? I tell them, you know, you have more than one purpose. The people searching for one ideal purpose are always stressed out. Is this really my purpose? Is this what I'm about? You have many purposes at different times. Better question to ask yourself is, what do I really want? You know, I, I think you were mentioned the other day that if you study all the great stories of humanity, the most common story, as I'm sure you know, is the story of the hero. Somebody's life is going along just fine, and then something disrupts it. You get Somebody gets ill. Somebody dies. Yeah. And, you know, COVID happens, something. And what that is, is life calling you to step out of your comfort zone and retool and grow. And the people that take that call on and do that, they go on, they go on a new journey. They have to figure out what to do after COVID. They have to figure out what to do in their business or finances. And if they push through and they meet new mentors and new relationships and fight new fights, and they eventually slay the dragon if they keep pushing through and they come back to hero their own life. So the steps that people are listening, it's like, okay, if I want my better finances or if I want, you know, a better relationship or if I want more energy in my life, let me start with am I on the path or not? And the way you know is the first step to every path is when you get disrupted, your brain develops some hunger or desire, meaning what do you really want and why do you want it? And you got to be very specific. Not I want more money. Fine. Here's a dollar. Get out of here. You're there. I want to lose some weight. No, I want to lose 12 pounds of fat. And here's why. That's the most important thing. Because you've got strong enough reasons, you'll follow through. Gotcha. Now, once you know what you want, the next step on the path is to find and face the truth, which means you've got to figure out what's the gap between where I am and where I want to be. And most importantly, why in the past have I not followed through? And you're going to discover there's only five reasons. Fear, fear of failure, success, rejection, loneliness. Second one is people have limiting beliefs. Like, you know, oh, gosh, I've tried everything. That's why I can't lose weight. And once you believe that, you right. don't try anything anymore. Anthony or, Robbins, something's happening to me now. It happens to you. I'm up against a hard break. Time got, to Rise got, Summit no uh, is uh, go find it at timetorisesummit.com. That's correct. I'm coming for free, and I'll, you can do it with your family, from your home or from your office. Love uh, to have you all. We'll make a difference together. You have an audience of a million people you'll be nice. to around the world. And the holy grail of investing. Thanks. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways to impose consequences on those who do not. We will continue to enforce the law. Nobody believes that. Uh, and Alejandro Mayorkas, who said a horrifying number to Brett Bear, 70% of the people that cross get in. Do you know what he said behind closed doors yesterday? Bill Malusian found out because he's got so many sources to Border Patrol. Sources told Bill Malusian 
who uh, people that were in the room when they were meeting with Mayorkas at Eagle Pass uh, in the Eagle Pass area, Mayorkas admitted that the current release rate for migrants crossing the border illegally is above 85 percent. So if you get there, you're in. What do you think that does for the people that want to come here from Africa, from Cuba, from Slovakia, from Afghanistan, from Ukraine? Not a race thing, not a poverty thing. This is not this is not your country. That's not how a country operates. This is the breaking point for everybody because if you look at the stats, over 70% of Americans look at this as a crisis at the border. That number in past years has been around 45%, broken on party lines. Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director joins us now, former congressman from Florida. Uh, spent decades in the uh, in the army, Colonel. Welcome back. It's good to be back with you, uh, Brian, and Happy New Year to you, my friend. That number did not surprise you uh, yeah. when he told Brett Bear seventy percent. I thought that was high, and then he didn't walk back yeah. and said he didn't say it. He said it fluctuates when pressed about what you said behind closed doors. It fluctuates. Well, look, this is a person that is deceiving the American people on purpose and intentionally. And, you know, he also said that the whole thing behind this uh, illegal immigration crisis is is climate change. So for the people that are up there in Iowa and what have you going through this uh, winter blizzard, let's see if they just pack up and try to go down to Argentina or Brazil and if they are allowed in. But Mallorcas is someone that, without a doubt, in complete violation of his constitutional duty and responsibility, he's supposed to be the secretary of our homeland security. And what he is doing is allowing for the insecurity of our homeland by allowing terrorists to come in. We, you know, I, I, I don't think he even addressed the issue of the quote-unquote gotaways. But when you are just allowing people to come in and resettle anywhere in the United States of America, and you're giving them these permission slips that says, oh, please, can you come back in six or seven years for a hearing? That's not how we keep our country secure. That means that we are undermining our right. sovereignty, and we're undermining this uh, representative democracy but listen the to left wants right. to talk about them voting. But, Colonel, listen to this. This is what he always says when pressed. Cut 13. We need Congress to provide the supplemental funding that President Biden requested months ago. We need more Border Patrol agents and more case processors so that the agents can be out in the field doing the heroic work that is their fundamental mission. Okay, the problem is he asked for fourteen billion dollars, two billion for security, two billion for security. Mm -hmm. And you know how long it takes to train a border agent? It takes months to train a border agent. This is a crisis now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing is that first and foremost, it has to be a policy change. Go back to the remain in Mexico policy. Get rid of the catch and release policy. Tell the ICE agents that they can go back to doing what they're supposed to do is deportations. The Biden administration uh, last year had one of the lowest uh, deportation rates of any of the previous administrations that we've seen on the issue. Yeah, one of the worst. And so this is not about throwing more money at it. And the thing is, if we had more agents out in the field instead of doing all of this caretaking and processing of illegals, I think that uh, it would rectify itself. All right. So they're working on a bill in the Senate. And uh, it looks like uh, they had some optimism. It might be dissipating now. Senator Lankford's leading it. Nobody thinks Lankford's a moderate, by the way. So mm-hmm. Lankford's leading, but he's just a quality individual. Uh, Lankford, Cinema, 
and Senator Murphy of Connecticut. Now, they're going to get rid of catch and release. They're going to reform parole. Uh, they're going to no longer allow – they change the rules for asylum. No longer can you say, I feel under threat. It's going to take extreme proof to do it, and you get sent back to your own country until you put together that proof. But that's not good enough for Chip Roy. Uh, he is He's one of these people that says he can't go for it. Cut 17. And I just don't understand how we can spend $60 billion over the Pelosi omnibus spending levels and pat ourselves on the back. All right. I'm sorry. That something. was a, I'm sorry. That was the wrong soundbite. But he came out and said mm-hmm. nothing but everything on H.R. 2 or bust. And H.R. 2 is building the wall, getting absolutely everything because it can be no holes. If there's one hole, they might as all well be holes. Do you understand that mindset? I do understand the mindset, and I think that Chip Roy, being a representative from the state of Texas, where he is seeing on the ground what is happening to, to ranchers. He is seeing what is on the ground has happened to communities. When you have ranchers that are being told that they cannot do anything about people transiting across their property, destroying their property, coming up to their homes in the middle of the night, this is a dire situation. And, and I think that we have to start from a position of strength that says, we're constitutionally mandated to protect and secure our border, to not allow people to come in illegally. And we cannot start from a position of weakness. So I think that's what Chip Roy wants to see. So the other major story is our secretary of defense, a general, uh, a general has decided to go to surgery, not tell anybody. It has complications. He's going to go back to the hospital, doesn't tell anybody. He goes into intensive care. It's not related to his chief of staff, not related to his deputy, not related to the president, not related to the national security advisor, not related to the secretary of the uh, secretary of state. Keep in mind, we got a bit of a hot war with the Houthi rebels shelling us on a daily basis. Our guys have been hit over 100 times in Iraq alone. Listen to Michael Waltz, Cut 21. This was an utter breakdown in the chain of command, uh, and it's a total dereliction of duty. Let me tell you where this is so dangerous, as you were alluding to. In our nuclear command and control posture, uh, if an adversary launches uh, a nuclear ICBM, we have 15 minutes to determine whether the United States is targeted, how it's being targeted, or whether it's some type of test. The National Command Authority gets on the line with the commanding general of NORAD, and the Secretary of Defense makes a recommendation to the commander-in-chief of whether we respond in kind with launching our own nuclear triad and our own nuclear missiles. Can you imagine this? I mean, have you ever heard of anything like this in your life in the history of this country? No, absolutely not. But let me put this in a a better frame of reference. Uh, I served at Fort Bragg at the same time that Colonel Lloyd Austin was at Fort Bragg. He was a brigade commander, the 3rd Brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division. Now, if Colonel Austin had one of his subordinate battalion commanders who all of a sudden took off, did not tell anybody where he was, uh, and then the executive officer of that battalion commander was out of the country, I guarantee you Colonel Austin would have relieved that battalion commander of command and probably would have relieved and reprimanded the executive officer as well. So what's the difference here? You cannot, you know, basically go AWOL, not, you know, let your, uh, you know, superiors know where you are, what is going on, and 
truthfully, this is a dereliction of duty. This this is a very serious offense. But, of course, you hear all the excuses coming from the left. You hear all the excuses coming from Crane Jean-Pierre and uh, the national security spokesperson. But if this were the Trump administration, I can guarantee you, Brian, you know very well, they would be calling Absolutely. for the uh, removal of whoever his secretary of defense was. And you know what they'd be saying? showing that Donald Trump cannot run the White House. Nobody respects him at the Pentagon. If they could have trusted him, they were afraid of what he was going to do, so they didn't want to let him know the Secretary of Defense wasn't there to regulate him. Can you imagine the crazy rumors that will be happening? Never happened before in the history of our country, only since Donald Trump took office. And I'll, I'll build it out even further. Think about this. We are looking at a war between the states because of illegal immigration, thanks to your governor, Governor DeSantis especially, Mm -hmm. who was just saying, my illegal immigrant problem is a national problem. Deal with it. And he sent them to Washington, Chicago, and most of all, New York. And then it became a national problem. Now we got governors suing mayors and mayors suing states and bus companies. And they'd be saying Donald Trump's presidency actually has a mini civil war happening inside our country. Not Joe Biden's White House, who does yeah. nothing about this, doesn't even try to referee it, wouldn't even take the Democratic side on it. Well, amazing to me when Donald Trump was there as president, everyone thought that, you know, you have a right to be a sanctuary city. You have a right to allow illegal immigrants into uh, your, your area or even be a sanctuary state. But now, all of a sudden, these people that have declared themselves to be sanctuary states and sanctuary cities, they're upset because now legals are showing up there. So you can't have it both sides, and it's the hypocrisy that is completely laughable. But this is why this is a, a such an important election cycle, because we see who the left is. And when you look at the polling, Joe Biden is failing on every single policy that is important to the United States of America and is important to the American people. He went to a South Carolina church yesterday, the site of a horrific shooting, race-related, mm-hmm. by Dylan Roof, that uh, that uh, mm-hmm. that racial that racist killer who opened up fire and African Americans who invited him into a church. Horrible. Why yep. he wants to build his campaign around that shooting is beyond me. But he wants to say that the guy who I told you was a Nazi Friday is all, uh, on Friday is also worthy of being a member of the KKK. Listen to him. Cut one. We saw something on January 6th we'd never seen before, even during the Civil War. Insurrectionists waving Confederate flags inside the halls of Congress built by enslaved Americans. A mob attacked and called black officers, black veterans, defending the nation those vile of racist names. And yet, an extreme movement of America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president, is trying to steal history now. They tried to steal an election. Now they're trying to steal history. Should we get the history right and talk about the what party gave us segregation and the Confederacy? Yeah, yeah, that would be a good one. Uh, it was the Democrat Party, and they were also the Democrat Party that did not support the 13th, 14th, or 15th Amendments. So the Democrats did not support ending slavery. They did not support uh, recently freed slaves becoming citizens and getting the right to vote. So there you go, Joe. And they were also the, the party that started the Ku Klux Klan. But isn't it interesting that you know the president who, in his inauguration speech, talked about unity? If you listen to him now, and especially in these last few days, he's not talking about unity. He's talking about divisiveness. And really, since he can't talk about his issues and his policies, 
He's just going back to talk about demonizing, you know, one part of this country and calling them something insurrection, insurrectionist, which no one has been charged with. And again, you look at the misuse of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, by the Colorado Supreme Court, by the Maine uh, Secretary of State. They're doing everything that they possibly can right. to demonize, denigrate, and disparage. You know, you've been making a mistake. You've been giving Martin Luther King Jr. too much credit for the Civil Rights Movement, and uh, you have it wrong. The guy who started the Civil Rights Movement, his name was Senator Joe Biden. Remember this? <laughs> I was talking downstairs. I, uh, I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's why I started a civil. No, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. I used to go to 7:30 mass, then I'd go to 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock service with the reverend who was then running the church. Is now the bishop. She's a bishop. What's he even talking about? I mean, I'm sure uh, that they can't back that up. And number one, he started the civil rights movement. Yeah. Well, he can't back it up. But again, think about this. This is the exact same guy who stood beside and eulogized Senator Robert Byrd, who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan there in West Virginia. And Senator Robert Byrd was one of those senators, Democrat senators, who were part of the longest filibuster in U.S. Senate history, and that was Democrats filibustering against the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Yeah. It's it's just unbelievable that he gets away with this. It's and to sit in a black church and go and and rip the people. Now, by the way, MAGA Republicans, make America great. Anyone who has that hat or has an ornament on their Christmas tree, he's saying a raging racist. With the seventy, most of the seventy-three million that voted for him, these are extremists. Do you realize if Trump wins, you think the country is divided now? When he's done with speeches like this over the course of ten months, people will be convinced that if Trump's elected president. He becomes a dictator like Napoleon, and yeah. well, all our rights are going to be gone. That, that's the type of country he's going to be either running or relinquishing. Well, you've heard that coming from the left, that Trump's a dictator. If he gets back in, he's going to punish his enemies, which is something that Barack Obama said. Uh, he's going to you know, execute people, all of these things. And again, this goes to the politics of division. This goes to the politics of derision and the politics of the character assassination of what, half of this country almost because they don't believe in the progressive socialist leftist yeah. ideology. It's nuts. And by the way, you want to know why he's doing this? Because he went from 80, uh, 80 plus percent support for the black community. Now it's in the 60s yes. and he's losing the Hispanic vote. So yes. the, all he could do instead of trying to win them over with his policies, uh, he's just trying to try to uh, humiliate them by uh, by letting them know that they, when they lose, when they don't support him, they're on the other side of racist. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Listen, I'll take your calls next. I took I took him a little long, but I'll squeeze him in. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Right now, they're working on the appropriations bill. They're having a fight about it. Are you worried about the open border? Yes. 
You know, I mean, you know, every you, we, every country's got to say they have a secure, controlled border. Right. I'm not in government, but and you've had in the past senators from both sides and maybe some House members work out deals. And we need security at the border. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, safely in New York, probably owns an island of his own, is saying that for the economy and maybe for the country, let's just look hard numbers. What are you thinking, America, Joe Biden? What are you thinking? How do you go on vacation for three weeks with this border collapsing every day? You say, well, I put out a plan in the beginning. No one ever talked about it. You had your own Congress. You had the majority there. Your own Senate, the majority there. Why weren't you trying to sell that immigration plan that sucks? Number two is you say, well, I want $14 billion for the border in an emergency session. You know how much money was actually going to border security? $2 billion. You know how much money was going to uh, these NGOs and uh, the soft-sided facilities? Almost all of it. And some of the transportation to get them into these cities and the food and accommodations and the placement, all of it. Why would a Republican sign off on that? Your bad policies, all you want to do is treat the bad policies. Republicans want to fix the bad policies. They don't want to end immigration. They want to organize it. This is not organized. Nobody hates people from Ukraine, Afghanistan, Slovenia. Liberia, 120 separate countries. So if you say, well, if you want to crack down on the border, you're bigoted. On what? On everybody? I mean, on, it's hard to really categorize who's coming through the border. They're coming from the South, but they're not from the South. America, Central America. Crazy. BrianKillMe.com. Find out where I'll be. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, in about 15 minutes, Senator John Cornyn will be joining us. What is it like to cut a uh, try to cut a bill when it came to gun control with uh, Democrats? Get a lot of pushback from Republicans. Uh, now that's what Senator Lankford's feeling on the Senate side as he tries to get something done on immigration. Brad Melter, the bottom of the hour, the best-selling author, got the incredible uh, history series for kids. Uh, it's on a big anniversary. His latest book is uh, I Am Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then uh, Varney and Company at 45 after we'll do a simulcast. Michelle Obama made some news by saying why she's terrified. So that's going on. The president of the United States, we saw his SUV caravan go into court because he wants to be there as his lawyers make the case that he should be immune from all prosecution when it comes to January 6th and just about everything else because he was president at the time. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. That strike in Baghdad that killed the Iranian leader was at noon local time on last, January 4th, last, last Thursday. All right, so Baghdad's what, seven hours ahead of New York? Corresponds to 4 a.m. D.C. time, which means Joe hadn't been notified of the fact that Secretary Austin was out of commission. So who's making that call? So who Is would? it the second in command in Puerto Rico on vacation right. on a secure Zoom? But she didn't even know she was in command, and evidently she was sick. 
Secretary Austin's atrocious decision to keep his grave medical condition secret. He's still in the hospital. Should he be fired? He won't be. But what it exposes beyond disturbing for our country, showing an administration adrift with no one at the wheel. Number two. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways to impose consequences on those who do not. We will continue to enforce the law. Border has America united. Just about all of us agree. It's busted and has to be fixed. I know exactly who is to blame. We all know how to fix it. Will this Senate do just that? We should know soon. Number one. An extreme movement in America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president, is trying to steal history now. They tried to steal an election. Now they're trying to steal history. Uh, what's he talking about? One down, two to go. Three straight town halls featuring all three top contenders for the Republicans. It moves to DeSantis tonight as Haley wrapped her impressive showing on Monday. Six days into the Iowa caucuses as President Biden goes from calling Trump Hitler to a racist at a famed church in South Carolina while making up tall tales about his past. That he is a, was the founder of a civil rights movement. Can we hear one of these cuts when he makes this ridiculous claim, I was talking downstairs. I uh, I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's why I started. Civil, no, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. I used to go to 7:30 mass, then I go to 10 o'clock 10 o'clock service with the Reverend, who was then running the church, is now the bishop. She's a bishop. What's he talking about? I, I would love to see somebody verify how often they saw him there Sunday nights. Not with his family, not on the beach, but uh, Sunday nights at 7 and stayed till 10 for civil rights meeting, which evidently he led. Does anyone believe that? Nobody believes that. And what about how irresponsible it is to come out and your campaign kicks off with Friday speech saying the president, the former president's a Nazi, literally a Nazi, full Hitler, and then yesterday saying he's a member of the KKK. Incredible. I thought this guy was even pretending, was he pretending to be a unifier? I mean, what is your message? What are you going to do the next four years? All you do is live in fear, want people to have fear of Donald Trump coming back to power. Cut to. On June 17, 2015, the beautiful souls, five survivors and five survivors, invited a stranger into this church to pray with them. The word of God was pierced by bullets and hate, of rage, propelled by not just gunpowder, but by a poison, poison that has for too long haunted this nation. What is that poison? White supremacy. Oh, it is. It's a poison. Right. And know what it is? It's, oh, my goodness, honey. I'm getting I'm not getting the black vote I was once getting. I was once at the 80 percent. Now I'm in the 60s. I have to go to a black church and tell everybody that Donald Trump will poison this country because he's a white supremacist. Because they just did a study on the Pentagon. Remember, they said white supremacy rages in the Pentagon. They did a study. It lasted two and a half years. They released it on a Friday. Michael Waltz picked it up. Do you know what it's found? Nothing. No extremist behavior in the military. Nothing. Even with the investigators from this White House, they found nothing. Nikki Haley, governor in South Carolina, 
knows exactly what that hate was about, horrible as it was, and knows you cannot associate any of the current Republican or Democratic leaders with it. Cut four. For Biden to show up there and give a political speech is offensive in itself. But the second thing I'll say is I don't need someone who palled around with segregationists in the 70s and has said racist comments all the way through his career lecturing me or anyone in South Carolina about what it means to have racism, slavery, or anything related to the Civil War. Don't you think? And then we're talking about the Civil War again. So uh, it was uh, an impressive display by Nikki Haley. It wasn't meant to grill her. It was meant to tee up, come back with facts on different things that, that Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis have accused her of. She made a couple of things that where Iowa votes first, uh, New Hampshire corrects it. That's not going to win her votes in Iowa. Might win people over in New Hampshire. And then she talked about what's the Civil War about. She said it was about freedom and liberty. Uh, yeah, it was about slavery, but she could have started with that and worked her way backwards. And the one thing the president of Trump said that I think is important to point out, Trump said, you know, in the Civil War, they shouldn't have negotiated. Then he never would have heard of Lincoln. Mr. President, you absolutely would have heard of Lincoln. He was an extremely uh, perfect president at the perfect time at America's time of most need. And the other thing is he's right about negotiating. President Lincoln was trying to negotiate up until the fighting started. And he was willing to even let the South keep the slaves if they agreed to talk about how to do this peacefully. So it wasn't as if the negotiations weren't moving forward, but most of these uh, states have already seceded by the time he got to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and there was already a failed assassination attempt on him as he took his train to take his job in a very divided America. So Michelle Obama spoke yesterday in a podcast. Everyone's saying, uh, as bad as Joe Biden is, Michelle Obama would be a layup. Now, Nikki Haley beats Trump, excuse me, beats Biden by double figures. Last poll, 17 points. But nationally, she's trailing Trump by about 20 points. Michelle Obama would be formidable, almost everybody admits, because she's got no policy and no track record. She's bright and well-known, but I'm not sure that we will like any of her policies. And she is worried about Trump. And in talking to the on the Jay Shetty podcast, she said this, cut seven. What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit, it affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. You know, the fact that people think that government, eh, you know, does it really even do anything? And I'm like, oh, my God. Does government do everything for us? And we cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I, I worry that we do. Those are the things mm. that keep me up. So you think she's worried that the president of the United States is circumventing the Supreme Court decision not to forgive student loans? Is that what she means by democracy being in the balance? Or democracy being that this president has allowed mayors and governors and governors and governors to go at each other because of what's happening with immigration, shipping them uh, to these towns through buses and planes. Is that what she's worried about? No, I think she's worried about Donald Trump getting in office again. So is her husband, who evidently over the summer met with Joe Biden and was direct in saying you're underestimating the power and popularity of Donald Trump. I'm worried you're not taking it serious. I'm worried there's not enough people in Delaware taking initiative and leadership roles in trying to spread out your message, fill in the gap, because you can't. So racist, if you elect Trump, Nazi, if you elect Trump, democracy, if you elect Trump, not a guy that's going to reduce taxes, 
clamp down on the border, uh, make NATO pay their fair share, go back and try to negotiate more trade agreements that are more tilted towards America, be able to do the best he can to get these interest rates down and inflation continuing to go down, maybe below where it was when he took office. Not many people are buying the whole I'm going to run on January 6th thing. If you were doing it in November, I would still have doubts. But you're doing it in January. You're going to numb people to all of it. We're going to come back and take Senator John Cornyn on that and his election strategy. Then at 34 after, we talk history. Good news on the William Penn take down the statue and rearrange the park in Pennsylvania story. You're missing. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We need Congress to provide the supplemental funding that President Biden requested months ago. We need more Border Patrol agents and more case processors so that the agents can be out in the field doing the heroic work that is their fundamental mission. Yeah, but the problem is out of the $14 billion he asked for, only $2 billion goes towards security. Totally insincere. Senator John Cornyn lives this every day. Uh, Texas Senator on Finance, Judiciary, and Intelligence Committee. Senator, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Happy Sen- New Year. Same to you. It must be so frustrating to hear people play politics instead of uh, trying uh, and making us try to deny the reality we're seeing right now. Mayorka says behind closed doors, 80-plus uh, percent of the illegals that come to our border get in to stay. Told Brett 70 percent. He told others even less. What's the reality as you know it? Well, this is the same guy that swore under oath that the border was secure multiple times. Uh, I'm way past done with uh, Secretary Mayorkas. He should have gone a long time ago, and I hope the House proceeds uh, with impeachment proceedings. He is, uh, But the truth is he's carrying out policies of the Biden administration, which are open border policies. The reason we see this unprecedented surge of humanity at the border is because of the impression, unfortunately correct, that if you show up at the border, you're going to be released into the United States, perhaps never to be heard from again. And uh, that, of course, is a huge welcome mat for people around the world. The the only ones really benefiting from this, of course, are the human smuggling networks that are global, who are getting richer by the day, and the the, uh, drug cartels that are smuggling, uh, taking advantage of the the fact the Border Patrol is overwhelmed and smuggling uh, drugs into the United States that that killed 108 thousand Americans last year alone. It is it is inexcusable and it is a disaster. So what happens now? Uh, we hear the Senator Langford is working on some type of compromise in your chamber. What have you heard? Well, you know, I've been in the Senate for a while now, Brian, and we've been talking about these issues with no real result for a long, long time. I think this is an unprecedented opportunity because of the combination of uh, the president's request for assistance for Ukraine, uh, for the Indo-Pacific, and for Israel, where I just returned from. Um, This is a very dangerous world, but we can't address these challenges without addressing the dangers at our own southern border. And I think the Biden administration is finally waking up to the reality that this is not this is politically unsustainable for him and for Democrats, and I think uh, Senator Langford is doing uh, doing yeoman's work. I, I don't think anybody should be under the uh, under the impression that this is going to make the problem go away overnight. 
but we can sort of make a, a down payment and make some incremental uh, steps in the right direction and provide tools that the next president can actually, who's actually willing to enforce the law, can use to deal with the border crisis in the future. So uh, they want HR two. The House wants HR two. What do you hear that they're willing to do? Asylum changes, parole changes, the wall. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a supporter of HR two, um, and uh, I would be happy to pass that in the Senate. Unfortunately, we don't have sixty votes to do that. So we're going to try to get as much as we can, get as close as we can to the House's position on that, but. Uh, the, the, the you know physical barriers, the wall fencing are an important part of that, making sure that we have more uh, border patrol available. But the, what we really need to do is begin to send a message that there are consequences to coming to the border illegally. And unfortunately, that means we need to fix the broken asylum system where people just need to say the magic words they've been coached with. Uh, and then be released and never to have any uh, suffer any consequences if they get turned down, assuming they show up for their court date. But the parole issue is perhaps the most, most insidious part, because even if we fix the asylum system, as long as the Biden administration can release people on so-called parole, this is, I mean, it's a little strange, it's a strange word because we think of it in a criminal context, but this basically just means releasing people into the United States even if they're not claiming asylum. So this is really, they're using this as a public relations or border management tool to avoid the, try to avoid as many bad stories as they can about people being bunched up at the border with no mm. place to go. But yeah, those, those fixing asylum and fixing parole and uh, providing the border patrol, the, both the, the, the people and the, the physical barriers and the technology they need in order to successfully do their job all part of the package. Uh, it looks like uh, Langford uh, says, I understand. Uh, he says, for those of you who, who have been engaged in the field, we're going to take lots of hits and lots of people are going to be cheering and booing in the stands. I understand that, but the task has got to be done. I just can't ignore the reality of the border and what is happening. Uh, so he expects people to be very critical. Reminds me of what you went through with the guns. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you when you're when you when you're trying to solve problems, you you can never satisfy 100% of the people, and there will be people on the right and the left critical if we're able to get this done, and that the jury's still out on that. Um, but you know, there's nobody else to do the job. If Congress doesn't do the job, it won't get done. The status quo is unsustainable, and if we can make some incremental progress and then put p- tools in place that the next president who's actually willing to enforce the law can use to do a better do more then i think that's worth doing but again the jury's still out on the details and you're not signed on to it yet uh it's not a final deal yet uh we're still waiting today at noon that uh, our uh, regular luncheon uh, james langford will make a presentation and give us more detail um I, I certainly support what he's trying to do, uh, but I am uh, withholding judgment until I actually see the details. Right. Uh, I'm sure the House is – uh, I think they, a lot of people feel it's got to get everything beside the wall uh, for it to work because they'll just use that weak area and people take advantage of it. Uh, we have never seen it so bad. Uh, so 
Uh, we'll see what happens. I think even Democrats know they have to get do, do something. But if you do something incremental, they can honestly say it's not my problem anymore. We did something bipartisan. So it's a bit of a political risk in a political year. Uh, but we yeah, do have to handle it. Yeah, you're, you're right, Brian. Um, you know, some people say, well, we can't do anything on the border because then President Biden will be able to claim credit. But even if we do something, uh, this problem is not going to go away overnight. Gotcha. I, mean, I hear you. Senator John Cornyn, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Brad Melter next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, with me in studio is Brad Meltzer. You're watching him on Fox Nation. You know him well. Best-selling author, host of the Fox Nation series, Brad Meltzer's Greatest Conspiracies of All Time. Uh, and the I Am series. Uh, the latest book he has out now is I Am Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ordinary People Changing the World, is the type of series we're talking about. It's geared towards kids. Brad, welcome back. Always good to be here, my friend. Special anniversary with the book. This is, yeah, so we've been doing this now. We, we, I have to say, I owe you, I came here also to say thank you, because when we launched this series, it was to give my kids better heroes to look up to, and we started with I'm Amelia Earhart and I'm Abraham Lincoln. We launched them on your show. We right. did them together. It is now the 10-year anniversary, which means if you bought those first books, you are old. Um, and, uh, but we, but 10 years of doing this, we've done 32 heroes from George Washington to Ben Franklin, to everyone in between, you know, Walt Disney and, uh, and which brings us to the two newest, Mr. Rogers and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. So Mr. Rogers out too. Mr. Rogers is out too. Yeah, we want, we, we tried to do for the 10 year anniversary. So the newest one is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And again, there's no politics about it. We never do any politics in the book. There's in fact, in the back of, I am Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You can see uh, we have Sandra Day O'Connor there. There we have Amy Coney Barrett's in there. We put, you know, we're like this is what we want to celebrate is is women who make a change. And we all think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a serious Supreme Court justice, but when she's a little girl growing up in Brooklyn, New York, she's basically wants to go on adventures. She wants to go roller skating. She wants to ride her bike, go to the roof, jump around. But they tell her at the time, girls can't do that. You're a girl. You can't do that. And it's her mother. Who changes that stereotype? Her mom takes her to the library and says, every Friday afternoon, you can pick out five books, Ruth. And as a little girl, Ruth's favorite books are real heroes, mm-hmm. nonfiction. She likes, among others, she likes Amelia Earhart. She likes stories of Harriet Tubman. And what she really wants and what she learns in that moment is there's nothing that a girl can't do. And I want my daughter to have that lesson. I want my sons to have that lesson. And as a book, that's what I Am Ruth Bader Ginsburg is about. So uh, with her, of course, uh, she's looked up to by a lot of uh, successful women in this country, Republicans and Democrats. But for her, in what way do you think this will resonate with young people? Yeah, you know, in my mind, we, when you look at her story, we, we always tell the stories when she's a kid. And I, the story that my daughter loves the most in the book is the story when Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a little girl. Her mother used to take her to the – instead of having birthday parties for her, would take her to the local Jewish orphanage. And she would look at this orphanage and they would give out ice cream to all the orphans. No birthday party. I mean, mm-hmm. you know what would happen in my house if I took away my kid's birthday party? So we're going to the orphanage. But yeah. that's what her mom did. And, and what she learned there, she used to say that hatred and injustice mm-hmm. is a fracture in society and you have to repair those fractures. And that's not a lesson she got from law school. That's not a lesson she got on the Supreme Court. It's a lesson she got from her mom where we get some of life's great lessons. 
And that's when my wife, my, my daughter and my wife both said, this is my favorite story in the book because that's all these, you know, her mom was teaching her right there how to make change. You make change. Uh, Ruth obviously uses the legal system to try and, you know, make sure that men and women are treated equally. But we're tra- that's what our books are, is, is my way of trying to put some good into the world for our kids. So Mr. Rogers. Uh, uh, the best. Let's talk about him. He's yeah. the best. He, so when I was five years old, Mr. Rogers taught me that you could use your creativity to put good into the world. And that's all we're trying to do, Brian. You know, we're trying to use my creativity to put good in the world. Mr. Rogers, when he was a little boy, used to be bullied, used to be chased home from school. He used to get really angry. We think of Mr. Rogers as this guy of ultimate kindness, but he was really angry, get all mad. He mailed away for, for one of those muscle things where you, you know, make you bigger, make you stronger, take on the bullies. He, was, he, he didn't like those bullies so much. And, of course, none of it works. But what he sees is his mother – and again, it always comes back to mom so often, even my life too. But his mom found out about a, at school that the nurse told her that there were kids in the school that couldn't afford new shoes. So the mother sends a pair of new shoes for free for the kids. Doesn't take any credit for it. Then she finds out there are kids who can't afford new clothes. Sends the clothes. New furniture. Sends the furniture. Never, ever takes credit for all the charitable work she does. And Mr. Rogers sees this. Mm-hmm. And what does he learn from his mother there? how to be a good neighbor. And it's his mom who gives him the greatest advice I think he ever gets in his life. Mr. Rogers is watching the news. He's really scared about the news. And his mother gives him the advice that we all know is quoted from Mr. Rogers, but it's really his mother's quote, look for the helpers. You can always find a helper. And to me, what I love about the book is that's what Mr. Rogers is for so many of us, right? He's a helper. He's someone, and, and, for me, again, I can't say it enough. I think uh, the world needs some more kindness these days. I, and I know there are things that are worth fighting over, but the world needs some more kindness, especially toward each other. And he's the perfect hero to, to me to tell people um, how to be a good neighbor because, boy, do we need that right now. So well, how would you describe these books of what ages? So, yeah, I mean, we ba- they're basically they're, – they're illustrated kids' books. They're ages 4 to 5 years old up to 12 years old is where our sweet spot is. And, you know, listen, I am Anne Frank when we're dealing with anti-Semitism or what's going on in Israel right now. That's a book obviously that maybe is more like, you know, 10 years old or 8 years old. Um, Amelia Earhart and Abraham Lincoln are for 5 and 4-year-olds. The beautiful part is is my kids are 22 and still read them. You know, I, I talk to people all the time and say I read these books for myself, but – you know, the, the illustrations in there by Chris Eliopoulos are a cross between Charlie Brown meets Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. And that's why kids love the stories. They love the stories. And I, I've done 32 books in this series of the greatest Americans who have ever lived. And whether it's Rosa Parks or Dr. King we've done, I am George Washington, I am Benjamin Franklin. The one thing that I've noticed they all have in common, every single one of them, is all these people are two things they have in common is one, they're always helping someone. That's what they're doing at the end of the day. I tell my kids all the time, you know, being a a multi-billionaire and having a great business doesn't make you a hero. You got to think of someone beside yourself. And so, of course, they're helping someone. But the other thing is they're all following their passion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for I am Walt Disney or I am Jim Henson, it's puppets and it's it's a cartoon mouse. For Marie Curie or for Muhammad Ali, it's, you know, it's, it's boxing and it's science. And each one of these heroes is doing the thing that they love. And to me, right. if you can give your kids and teach them, Jackie Robinson, it's baseball, right. is teaching kids, do that thing, find your passion, and that's how you change how the world. How long have you been doing history? I've been doing history uh, since I've been an undergrad at University of Michigan. So I've been talking about what year? Uh, 1992. When do you think our country started judging history instead of studying history? 
I, uh, I, that's a great question. I actually think the problem, I think that the rise of that happened probably around the time the internet happened because what happened is, is everyone got their own printing press. That's what the internet is rather than having newspapers or anything like that. And once, and it's a great thing that everyone now has a voice, but the bad part is, is everyone tells their own story, right? Everyone now, whatever you feel you can put out there and that's, we get all the benefits of that. And as all things in life, your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And that's our greatest weakness right now is everyone just says whatever they want and we judge it. We redo it. We, we, we realize it. We don't care what it – what the truth was, um, whether it's you know from issues of slavery or issues of anything else. And that William Penn – well, we're going to restructure yeah. uh, William Penn Park. I saw that one. In Pennsylvania. He's – Listen, he my, daughter Pennsylvania. Goes to, my daughter goes to Penn. That's where she's at school. And you know my belief on this. I just don't believe you tear statues down. I believe you put context to them. You give, yeah. you tell kids, you put them in museums and tell people a story. To me, you know, when we did I'm Harriet Tubman, I'll never forget. Here's our first kid's book about slavery. And the editor said to me, you're going to tell slavery to kids? And I said, yeah. What are we going to do, pretend it didn't happen? America is made up of hard stories. And if we pick just the ones we like, there's no history it's supposed to be complicated. It's supposed to not be easy. Do you easy. think the 16 mod 19 project hurt history? You know, it the, hurt the country. I, I you know, I the funny thing about 1619, I know, I obviously I know all the controversy around it. I think the hard part of 1619, I listen, do I think the country started in 1619? Of of course not, right? Like the hard part is, you know, 1776 is of course like where I mark my mark my my date, right? That's where I see it. The hard part of, of what you're seeing now is that everyone has their own history. And again, it's the, it's the best part and the worst part. I will say that I do think that there are stories that are being told now. And this is the one positive thing that I think of all this, you know, what's going on, is we do need people who tell stories that we've never heard stories of before. We never heard the stories. Of, when I was going to high school, we never heard anyone telling stories from the slavery perspective. That was just a lot. You know, we would tell the story of yeah. here's the Civil War and, and here's why it happened. But then we'd go. So I like the fact we get new stories, but we can't just like the history that we agree with. That's not what America is about. America is a complicated place, and we're a country founded on legends and myths. And the legends and myths we love most are our own. And I think our job, and you are a historian, I'm a historian, we care about this stuff. What I love about you know when you do your books is you know these, these friendships, especially the ones in your most recent books, right? Those are complicated relationships, right? right? Frederick Douglass's relationship – with Abraham Lincoln is complicated. It's not best buddies. It's not this. It's it's one pushing the other to try and you know make this a better union, and that's complicated. And, and I think we're in a in a mode right now as a society. What we're doing with our history and we're it's doing with our society, dangerous. We're, we're, it's dangerous. We're tearing things down. We're tearing everything. Right. We tear down our politicians, at, our our, our at, athletes, our as everybody. If our era is the perfect era, and right. no one and can live else. up to it, right. which is totally wrong. And we do a disservice to our right. kids. You know, we've got to teach our kids better and give our kids real heroes to me. And and, right. and that's what the goal of these His books I are. His I Am series continues with I Am Ruth, Gator, ben, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well as Mr. Rogers. Uh, Brad, great to see you again. Congratulations. Always. Thank you. Simulcast with Stuart Varney and FBN. Don't move. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm going to be on with Stuart in a moment. And usually when we get back on the other side, there's a couple of minutes left. So uh, call now, one 408 The big story, of course, 2024. We're six days away now for Iowa caucus. Then followed up on the following Tuesday, we'll be uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, we'll be in New Hampshire, actually arriving there Monday night. Mm. Sunday night, uh, do the show there Monday, and then Tuesday, and then I'm not sure if we're going to be there on Wednesday, but let's listen into Stuart. Brian Kilmeade will miraculously appear on your screens right about now. Brian, Michelle Obama's weighing in on this year's election. Watch this, please. Roll it. I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter, who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit, Brian is out. You got me okay? Sometimes I think people take for granted. We cannot take this democracy for granted. And sometimes I I worry that we do. All right, Brian. Do you think that um, she might jump into the uh, election? Or do you think she's just trying to light a fire under the Biden campaign to get him going. What's she up to? Well, it was very interesting that she didn't, she talked about the different issues in this, uh, a separate soundbite about different issues facing us, about AI, about uh, the so environment. Hold on a second. We're just going to get out of this for a moment and fix that microphone problem. We've got a little scraping around on the mic there. I'll get back to Brian in a second. The markets are red ink in terms of the Dow, down 260 points. The Nasdaq's down 54. All right, there you go. Um, not sure really what happened, uh, but... I guess we had some microphone problems. So I don't really know what what the issues was. So we're doing um, we're doing a, on Fox Business. We're doing a simulcast. I guess they were having problems with the TV end of it. But we we're talking about Michelle Obama, and she says, "quote I'm terrified about what could possibly happen in the 2024 election." So her terrified what would possibly happen. You just don't want your guy to lose because he is, as her husband said over the summer, your guy lost. Uh, your guy is losing, and he's underestimating the power of Trump. They personally are abhorred by the Irish of Trump. They look at January 6th. They look at different things, and they say to themselves, there's no way this guy can win, let alone the, win the nomination, let alone the general. And they see him with tremendous power. They see him now with a 46. I'm looking at this uh, Boston uh, this Boston Globe poll as a national poll. I'm sorry, the Suffolk poll, USA Today. And as the president up uh, 42 to 26 over Nikki Haley. However— the Boston Globe poll in New Hampshire has it within six. Now, why is that? She's within six for a reason. Undeclared undecideds in New Hampshire that uh, live for your die state have to decide each time you pick a party, pick one, Democrats or Republicans. Now, there's no Democrat to pick because this president wants to lose New Hampshire and thinks New Hampshire is not worthy to start on. Remember, last time he lost New Hampshire so bad, he didn't even wait for the final verdict to right to South Carolina, where James Clyburn saved and really made his career and saved his career. So in New Hampshire, the undeclareds have gone to Nikki Haley for the most part, undecideds. Well, for the most part, conservatives, it's overwhelmingly for Trump. So that's what's coming his direction. So it's 46-26, Trump over Haley. However, locally in New Hampshire, 39-32. Haley's picked up 12 points in New Hampshire. Now, would that be momentum enough to bring her up in South Carolina, where the current governor of South Carolina has endorsed the president, McMaster? I'm not sure. But if she has New Hampshire and lets people think the president, the former president, is vulnerable, does that change things? Here's Nikki Haley talking about the most controversial thing right now in the Republican Party, and that is how you explain abortion 
and the Dobbs decision. Cut five. You said you wouldn't support, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, a six-week federal ban if it were to go in, into place. Uh, Ron DeSantis has said that, you know, you are too moderate on this issue. That's not what I said. What I said is be honest with the American people. The only way a federal ban will pass is if you have a majority of the House, 60 Senate votes, and a signature of a president. We haven't had 60 senators in over 100 years. We may have 45 pro-life senators. So instead of demonizing this issue, the fellas just don't know how to talk about it. Uh, Well, it doesn't seem like anybody knows how to talk about it, whether it's Tudor Dixon running for governor in Michigan uh, whether it was Senator Carrie Lake uh, running, now Senate candidate Carrie Lake, who was running for governor, that was the issue. They think that that is probably the best issue. Why are we talking about hypotheticals that will never happen? There will be no federal ban on it. There will be no federal ban on abortion, even if they wanted it. It's just not possible. Now, in terms of what Michelle Obama was saying, she would not – I wonder if she would make this statement if Governor Haley was running or is this just a Trump thing? I think they would find an extremist with DeSantis and I think they'd find a huge problem. They'll find some vulnerability with Governor Haley. Cut eight. What is the thing that keeps you up at night? More to do with the world that we're in. There's such a thing as knowing too much. It could be any range of things that comes across the desk of the leader of the free world, right? So I know a lot about what's going on and what keeps me up are the things that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, The war in the region, in too many regions. What is AI going to do for us? The environment, you know, are we moving at all fast enough? What are we doing about education? Are people going to vote? And why aren't people voting? I mean, those are yeah. the things that yeah. keep me up because you you don't have control over them. Mm-hmm. And you wonder, where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? That is uh, what she was saying yesterday on a podcast. Uh, so she sounds like somebody that really wanted to talk, could easily have skated, talked about family, but she's talking directly about politics, but not as if she'll run. One thing about her. There's no rumors that she said behind the scenes that she'd like to run one day. We always heard that with Hillary Clinton. Did a listening tour, senator, opportunity as secretary of state, first ran for president of the United States, wanted to be better than Bill, uh, not likable enough. And we know that she's far left of where the her husband was where he ended up governing. But that's it. Michelle Obama wanted to put her voice out there. This is just a few days after the Washington Post got the story about the conversation that the Delaware, he wanted to, did the former president of the United States, wanted people in Delaware to show some leadership on the campaign because Trump is much more formidable than anyone in the Democratic Party seems to understand, in my view, except David Axelrod, who constantly, while deriding Trump, constantly brings up no one could quite figure out the power of Trump. Bigger crowds than anybody else, more passion than anybody else, more court cases than anybody else, more charges than anybody else. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 the number to call to be on the show. And we also have a big hour coming your way. Ian O'Connor on the unfolding drama in New England. He wrote the book Belichick. Uh, he is going to be joining us now, former New York Post writer, 
to talk about the possible firing of what many people consider the, the greatest coach ever with six Super Bowls. He's actually decided, hey, I don't have to have player personnel. It looks like he wants to hold on to that decision. I think it's bigger than sports. He'll, he'll make the call on that. And Garrett Ventry is with us right now. Uh, he is uh, a political analyst, and he's going to be with us to break down uh, possibly one of the most intriguing weeks of the year leading up to the Iowa caucus. Because instead of looking at numbers and delegates, we look at projections and polls, and we wonder if any of this is true. So before we get to Garrett, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. That strike in Baghdad that killed the Iranian leader was at noon local time on last, January 4th, last, last Thursday. All right, so Baghdad's seven hours ahead of New York. Corresponds to 4 a.m. D.C. time, which means Joe hadn't been notified of the fact that Secretary Austin was out of commission. So who's making that call? So who is wouldn't? it the second in command in Puerto Rico on vacation right. on a secure Zoom? Secretary Austin, atrocious decision to keep his grave medical condition secret, should, be, should get him fired. Right now, he's still in the hospital. What is his condition? What it exposes is beyond disturbing for our country, I'll explain. Number two. We are doing everything we can within a broken system to incentivize non-citizens to use lawful pathways to impose consequences on those who do not. We will continue to enforce the law. What an embarrassment he is. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, border has... America united. Just about all of us agree it's busted and has to be fixed. I know exactly who is to blame. We all know how to fix it. Will the Senate get this started or will it be a short term fix that might help people politically but not else help us at all as a country? Number one. An extreme movement of America, the MAGA Republicans, led by a defeated president, is trying to steal history now. They tried to steal an election. Now they're trying to steal history. What is he even talking about? If you want to get accurate history, it's the Democrats that were segregationists. It was the Democrats that wanted to hold on to slavery. Is that the, is that the part? Is that what you want to talk about, Mr. President? One down, two to go. Three straight town halls featuring all three top contenders. It moves to DeSantis as Haley wrapped up her impressive showing on Monday, six days till Iowa, as President Biden goes from calling Trump Hitler to a racist at a famed church in South Carolina. Garrett Ventry, this is not boring. You are uh, the founder and president of GRV Strategies, former senior advisor, Senator Chuck Grassley. Great to see you. Great to be with you, Brian. Your thoughts about President Biden's two-day launch. First, he's Hitler on Friday. Monday, he's a member of the KKK. Absolutely. It's, uh, he's hitting all the strokes here, Brian, that the left really in wants January. to hear. <laughs> exactly. I'm excited to hear what he's going to come up with in February. I don't know what you can go with next there when you're starting with Hitler and KKK. But I think it just shows he doesn't really have an agenda to run on, right? When you're talking about January 6th, you know, something that Democrats, you know, for three years have used against President Trump. They impeached him over it. You know, 50 percent of the indictments are about it. They're trying to take him the ballot off of it. They had a year-long investigation. People might not like some of President Trump's actions that day. They might think that, you know, it was a bad day. But they've kind of moved on. It's not a top three or four issue for them. They want to hear about the economy, inflation, the border, those things. And they just don't like Joe Biden's solution right now. A couple of things. He put $40 million into selling us on Bidenomics. He thought the numbers were strong and people just have to be aware. It's a waste of money. Everyone agrees. It did nothing in getting him traction. Turns out democracy on the ballot also doesn't work. Only Trump is evil works. But there's no strategy in doing it. He hit you with a two by four on Friday with everything you could possibly have. You got the court cases coming up and then Monday to go to that church where the horrific shooting in 2015 and declare, listen to this, Garrett, he declares that he started the civil rights movement. (laughs) I was talking downstairs. I uh, 
I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's where I started. Civil, no, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. I used to go to 7:30 mass, then I'd go to 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock service with the Reverend who was then running the church, is now the bishop. Does anyone believe bishop. this? Does anyone believe this? No, I mean, you could kind of even hear the, the crowd there even booing him. I'm, I, he's about, you know, 20 minutes away from saying he was there with Joseph and Mary in the manger. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. The guy, you know, just makes things up. He's done this his entire career. It's, he's very gap-prone and just lies, frankly. But if you take a step back, what you said about Bidenomics is really important, too. They've tried to pump these things in and tell people that their financial situation's good. But when people feel the pain from inflation, they look at the gas pump, they look that prices were worse than they were three or four years ago, they look at mortgage rates, they can't buy a home, it's at 7 8%. You can't tell people that things are going well. They're not dumb when 75% of people say the country's going in the wrong direction. So it's a strategy of just trying to tell them they're stupid, essentially. But Gary, it. didn't it work to a degree with President Obama against Mitt Romney? They made him out to be a detached guy, so like to fire people, as opposed to let me let me show you what I'll do over the next four years. They vilified Romney, may try to make him unelectable. Right. Now they're trying to do it to the 10th power. And Trump makes it easier with some of the things he says, I got it. But is it the same playbook? It is the same playbook. I would say that the difference is is that all, you know, President Obama was a very bad president, obviously. I didn't think he did much that was very good. But if you look at where Joe Biden is, it's astronomically worse here. And the thing is, with with Trump versus the Romney thing is people can look back at Trump's record as president. They might not like the tweets. They might not like some of the things he said, but they liked the record. They liked the secure border. They liked the low taxes. They liked feeling safe. There wasn't you know war in Ukraine. There wasn't a terrorist attack in Israel. Abraham Accords. Dec- exactly. Abraham Accords decimated ISIS, did these things. And so I think you're comparing two records here. Joe Biden ran last time and said, we're going to return to normal, right? Everybody, you know, he thought that people were tired of Donald Trump. The issue is now if the return to normal is high taxes, is you know, the reckless spending, inflation, these type of things, people don't want that anymore. So I think it's going to be a lot more tough to do, especially when he's dealing with his own corruption out of the White House, the impeachment inquiry, those type of things as well play into that too for Biden. So as this plays out, President Trump also has this thing called four indictments and 91 charges and three civil cases. The first one could be as early as March, although it looks like it's going to be delayed. His goal, go for the knockout early. Make it clear that I'm the nominee. You're going after your opponent as opposed to I'm in a tight match with two other formidable candidates. Correct? How important is the early knockout for the Trump team? I think it's very important here. You've got it, and obviously there's there's two very key early states here that are really going to hinge the entire race, in my opinion. If he knocks off Ron DeSantis in Iowa, I just don't see a path forward for Ron DeSantis. Do you think he announces as rumored that night? And doesn't go to New Hampshire? I, you know, they're tamping that down. I, I've, I've not spoken to anyone in the DeSantis campaign. I don't know. Obviously, you're going to remain positive. Because he's behind in, Christie in New Hampshire. Right, exactly. And so that's the point. If you can't beat Donald Trump in Iowa, he beats you by 20, 30 points there. You're going to finish in fourth or fifth place in New Hampshire. You're going to finish maybe in third place in South Carolina. There's not really a path there. Donors start to get uneasy about that. They don't want to invest money in a campaign that proves that they can't win. The state, again, DeSantis said Iowa, they're going to win. Now they're tamping down a lot of those expectations. Then in New Hampshire, as you pointed out, Brian, he's got to stop Nikki Haley there, too, because if she can win in New Hampshire, you're going into South Carolina. I don't think she can beat Trump in her home state of South Carolina. But for Donald Trump, he's got to win these first two states. And I think those candidates, then he really just runs away with it. So, you know, it's interesting. They had a Boston Globe poll and it has uh, Haley down 39, 32. Right. That's legitimate. They say, and you're the expert, Garrett. 
Uh, they say it's because these undecided, undeclared can pick either party. Right. There's no Democrats to pick from. And most moderates, undeclared, independents tend towards Haley. Yeah, and she's done a you know very good job really investing her time in New Hampshire. She's been there. They're running ads. She's on the ground. She's got Sununu's endorsement. So, I mean, that's going to – she's obviously tightened in the race here. You've seen that poll. You've seen another poll where, you know, she's tightened it from, you know, 20 points here down to 14 and now to 7 today. So clearly she's gaining some ground there. It's just very important. President Trump has to be able to hold her off in New Hampshire, and I think the map then gets even more clear for him. But I think they can really realistically, speaking to folks in the Trump campaign, they think they can lock this down by mid-March. What does an indictment do to this race? I don't care what you think of the verdict or the jury. What does an indictment do? Because I tell you, the Wall Street Journal poll show goes up four to down one. Right. No, certainly a, a conviction, obviously. Uh, uh, that's what I yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So certainly a conviction, I think, throws some it, – it's it's something we've just never seen before, right? And I think it's certainly – you know, there's some voters that may be turned off by that. But I think if you – there's a poll that I thought was very interesting. It polled Michigan. CNN did. And even within that, in a swing state of Michigan, you know, more voters, a majority of voters still th- would have seen it as political – so it's really unknown, but I do think of the four indictments where we thought, you know, if a guy gets indicted four times in 2012, Brian, you've been doing this for a long time, or 2008, they would have had to drop out of the race in disgrace and hide in, you know, hide somewhere. This guy shot up in the polls and beats Biden. So I think that it, it's really unknown, right. but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Garrett Ventry is with us, the founder and president of GRV Strategies, a former uh, senior advisor to Senator uh, Haley, uh, Senator Grassley. So I heard an ad last night, and I laughed out loud. Donald Trump is releasing another series of collector cards, including the mugshot version. Yeah. He voiced it. Yeah. So not only is he selling mugs for it and mugs, mugshots, and he's actually selling trading cards. He's making money, raising money off it. Do you remember when George Bush was rumored to had a DWI in his 20s, didn't tell anyone? <laughs> sure. Right? And that was a scandal. Right. This guy was arrested. There's there's this line of, SU, uh, of SUVs going in and out of courtrooms for the last six, seven months. Right. And he's actually selling you the card of his mugshot. <laughs> and of everything you learn in all the politics that you know, can you put that in perspective? No, I mean, again, you've been covering this for a Trump? long time. Is it, this it, just it, Trump or has this changed the rules for everybody? I, I think, listen, there's a couple, like, things through the arc of history. I think the Clinton impeachment, him holding on during that scandal kind of you know, changed some of the arc. But obviously Trump is – you know, throwing gasoline on it, right? Again, I think the truest thing Donald Trump ever said was that he could go out in Fifth Avenue, shoot somebody, you know, right down the street from where we are, and he would probably go up in the polls. And so I think that's the truest hypothetical thing, obviously, he he said. And you've seen this with a number of things. Again, people thought he was done after January 6th. People thought he was done after, you know, some of the midterm elections in 2022 with some of the endorsed candidates. People thought he would be done after these indictments. He's just shot up in the polls. I and mean, he's up 50 points nationally. He's set such a hold on the party. And I think it's just voters are loyal to him. They trust him. They like his policies. They like his style. In the Republican primary, it's just tough to overcome if you're Haley or DeSantis. So Nikki Haley came out and said, you know, when they asked her the cause of the Civil War, she said, well, it was freedom and liberty. And she should have said slavery. She tried to correct it. It was very slow to correct it. Here's President Biden on that. Cut three. After the Civil War, the defeated Confederates couldn't accept the verdict of the war. They had lost. So they say they embraced what's known as the lost cause, a self-serving lie that the Civil War is not about slavery, but about states' rights. So let me be clear, for those who don't seem to know, slavery was the cause of the Civil War. There is no negotiation about that. First of your reaction, 
boom dressing. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, at an AME church. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that uh, you know, Ambassador Haley. I think it was a massive slip up for her. I think she knows better. I don't know what was happening there. She's since clarified the comments. Um, but no, I think it's uh, it's a gaffe that has proved to be problematic. Bad news cycle for her as well. I think it's interesting with with uh, President Biden because when he was in the Senate. He cozied up to a lot of segregationalist senators, right? He called Wait, them no, no, mentors, no. He founded so, the Civil Rights Movement. Yeah, there's that, too. So he did that and cozied up. He did. A, he found a lot of things, right? He was on the moon landing, a number of things, right, mm-hmm. as you remember. But, and he helped uh, Mandel. He, he got arrested trying to protest Mandela's exactly. Exactly. He was, he, was he was all over the map. He was there, the War 1812, all of it, right? So um, I, I do think it's interesting. They'll try and make, I think, you know, race, democracy. These are two issues that they're going to try to exploit healthcare, abortion. It's issues that Democrats want to make this race about. But I think if you take a step back, her comments obviously are wrong. She corrected him. The, the Civil War was obviously about slavery. And so I think that's what they want the race to be about. Republicans, I think, are seeing where voters are. It's about the economy, inflation, and the border. So this is what Nikki Haley and Governor DeSantis are getting constantly. Why aren't you tougher on Trump? You know, you're out here, you're running. Why aren't you tougher on Trump? My opinion there's no difference between Trump and his voters. If you want to win over his voters, they take it personal. Yep. What is, is there a sweet spot to beating Donald Trump as a Republican? I just don't think there is. We've seen this for eight years now, Brian, right? We've seen this as he come down the golden escalator, whether it's Jeb Bush came at him. I don't even know what Jeb Bush is doing now. Ted Cruz and Rubio came at him. They eventually bended the knee to Trump. Uh, you've seen this with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger challenging him. Anyone who's challenged him as a Republican just hasn't won or survived. And I think that when you're talking about now – when he's running now where he's, you know, a lot of his voters don't like what happened in the 2020 election. They love President Trump. It's just tough to do. And I think the autopsy of every GOP campaign will simply be this. They looked at, you know, after the midterm elections, they looked after 2020. They thought there would be a lane to defeat Donald Trump. There just isn't. So Pompeo critic, saw that early. I think Pompeo saw that early. I think Ted Cruz saw that early. Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton. I think smart candidates, not to say these candidates aren't Yunkin. They just looked at and they said, listen, like, I think it's still Trump. Right. Um, and so I think the tough thing is here. You've had some of these candidates who've surged, whether, you know, DeSantis had a little bump, Vivek had a little bump, uh, Nikki's had a bump. The issue is you're not taking any of Trump voters away. Until you can eat away at his slice of the pie, it's very tough to beat him. So how do you explain Haley winning in the general in double figures? Last one was 17 points against in a hypothetical against Joe Biden, yet yeah. down by 20 to Trump. Yeah, I think it's, we've never seen that. I don't think I've ever seen that of you. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's an interesting thing. She certainly has a broader appeal to some more moderate voters. Right. I think they they that that probably plays they just big, don't play a role in the primary. Yeah, they don't play a role in the primary. You're talking about these independent voters, some of them who can't, you know, vote in the primary. Maybe it's some disenfranchised Democrats, too. They might like her style and her, you know approach a little more than President Trump. Obviously, we, you know, President Trump's beat Biden a lot of these polls. But I think a part of it is, too, the Biden campaign hasn't spent any money on Nikki Haley and hasn't attacked her. You know how this works. You could be at a number, and the moment the race tightens, you start spending $500 million calling someone racist, terrible, pointing out all their things. They're probably not going to be up 15. So I think the race would tighten. I think it shows, though, that Biden is such a weak candidate that most of our candidates in this race are beating him head to It's just so funny. They keep calling each other weak. Yep. Uh, Trump, oh, he's so weak. And Biden, he's sure. so weak. So, I mean, are they bo- they're both weak candidates. Only one can get 50,000, 60,000 at a rally, right. and one can get 50. Right, right. So it's, Barack Obama is trying to tell Joe sure. Biden that. Why do you think we got that story leaked? I think it's interesting. I think Obama always likes making it about him. I think that's part of it, right? He likes looking as yeah. the strategist. He likes being as the guy who's behind the scene, helping Joe, helping this person. So I think he can't give that up. You know, all these guys, when they have 
politicians, when they leave office, whatever, they still like the power. They like the spotlight. That's why they do this. Gotcha. So I think that's probably part of the reason. why. All right, Garrett, it. great job. Always love your insight. Founder and president of GRV Strategies. Uh, used to be in there with Chuck Grassley. And it's going to be an exciting time. We're six days away. Thanks, Brian. Garrett, good talking, we'll do the post analysis of the caucus leading up to New Hampshire. Thanks, Brian. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with it in a few minutes. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, guys, just got to tell you, coming up on the 21st, I hope you're in the area, but some people did drive as far as three hours. But on the 21st of this month, two weeks, uh, a week from this coming Sunday, we're going to have a live show uh, in studio. Your chance to see uh, how to win America's War in History. Have great fun on stage. Better than Hamilton, I like to say. And we're going to be, uh, just go to BrianKilme.com and get tickets. Uh, This way in the afternoon on a Sunday, the Bears aren't playing. It's going to be outside. The Bears aren't playing, but we are on stage in Joliet, Illinois. And I'll be talking about Teddy and Booker T. Absolutely. The new book they have out, you've got enough to have uh, bought. We've got the special that you saw, and it came out great. Hope you liked it. It's still on Fox Nation today. But to see you in person and to be on stage, and we bring uh, key moments of American history to life, I hope everyone can join me at BrianKillMe.com. It's the last one for the for the season, for the winter. We did about four or five of them over the last three months, and I think it's pretty cool. And also, there's VIP opportunities where I get a chance to talk to you ahead of time. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. Some tickets left. For some reason, the fourth row is in touch, but almost every other row is. So grab the fourth row. BrianKillMe.com. Back with Ian O'Connor, the fate of Bill Belichick next. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Disappointing year for all of us, players, coaches, staff, entire organization. Not anything that any of us are in any way content with, but it is what it is. As far as the future goes, I'll sit down with Robert, as I do every year at some point at the end of the season, and you know we'll talk about things, as we always do. I'm sure that'll happen. But that's really about all I have to say about that right now, because there's nothing else to talk about. It's our understanding that you're under contract for next year. Is it, is it your hope to come back? And- I just finished the game with the Jets, Phil. It was a very, you know, put everything I had into it this week and try to prepare our team the best I could to play in it. Wow, uh, and they didn't play. They were terrible, and the Jets, um, you know, were better, and they finally ended a 15-game losing streak to Bill Belichick's Patriots. Ian O'Connor writes, uh, he comes from New York, uh, he writes for the New York Post, New York Daily News for years, but he's a four-time New York Times bestseller, author of five books, including Belichick, The Making of the Greatest Football Coach of All Time, where he goes back to the days when he was playing football in college and lacrosse, uh, and then the days with the Giants and working his way all the way through, rejecting the Jets and then going uh, to the Patriots, where he was defensive coordinator under Bill Parcells. And now after six Super Bowls, they're talking about that being it. And it could happen any could happen now. Why is that so historic? No one's ever won six Super Bowls. Uh, same franchise, too. And I get the sense that he's not done, whether he gets fired or not. Uh, Ian, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how are you? 
Hey, Ian, if I told you we'd be at this place at the end of the season, would you have said there's a good chance because there's not much talent on that roster? Or did you think he got Matt Patricia back? Uh, he was going to be able, he's got Bill, uh, uh, he's got O'Brien back, a guy who, you know, made his name at Penn State, but actually cut his teeth in, uh, in New England, and he'll be fine. What do you think? Well, I thought, Brian, he would survive. I thought he would get to eight or nine wins with this team because he's Bill Belichick and he would find a way to not have a four and 13 season, which is exactly what he had. I, I thought it was very interesting yesterday when Bill Belichick for the first time ever in new England suggested he's willing to give up personnel control. And so he put the ball firmly in Robert Kraft's court. If you want me out of here, I'm going to make you fire me. And uh, so that, that to me was, was, really, really interesting that he suggested he'd give up some power to stay in his job as head coach. Now, now the guy's going to be 72 years old in April, so I actually think it's a very good idea for him just to focus on coaching the football team, and he's made a lot of mistakes as a general manager trying to assemble that roster. Let someone else do that work, and you just coach and focus on winning football games and breaking Don Shula's record. So they looked at the three, Kraft, Brady and Belichick. And people used to debate back and forth who's the most important. Is the debate over now that Brady went down and won a Super Bowl and and Belichick hasn't had much success since? I just think the two are so inseparable, Brian, that it's it's hard to make if, if you're going to make a case, Brady's is better right now. Certainly he won a Super Bowl at Tampa Bay and look at what Bill has done since Brady left him. But I think without Belichick, there's no way Tom Brady wins six Super Bowls with one franchise. Now, he might have found a way to win three or four with a a very good football coach, but Belichick is the greatest of all time. He created a system around Brady, uh, helped by having the best offensive coordinator of his generation in Josh McDaniels. Without that, Brady's not winning six for some other coach. So. I just don't think you could separate those two figures historically. It's the greatest partnership maybe in the history of American sports. And so, uh, but if if you're in a sports bar and you're having that debate with a friend, right now the case for Brady looks a little bit better, but I think it's almost irrelevant. And, and I don't think there is any other NFL coach who could have squeezed six out of Brady in New England the way Belichick did. So interesting. But they didn't really get along a lot. And he didn't give Brady special rules, right? And did that create resentment that has dissipated since? Or are they just pretending to have paved it over? Because famously, Belichick, I think, called in last year to to a podcast that he was doing, I think, with Jim Gray. It's a great question, Brian. And I think that uh, that was part of a big part of their success was the way Belichick coached him. Bill Belichick coached him like he was a guy in the middle of the bottom of the roster. And that really impacted the other players on the team is if, if Bill is going to call out Tom Brady in the middle of a film session, the way he would, and, and not, uh, it was something he would do fairly often. Then a guy who is the 50th man on the roster is going to say, well, if he's doing that to Tom Brady, I better get my act together and and really have an incredible attention to detail every practice because Tom Brady was held to that standard. And yet after 20 years of that, I think in one, one of Tom Brady's friends told me for my book, he was Belichicked out. He just, after, after two decades of being coached every single day, like it's game seven of the world series, it finally wore him down. And you look at the, the coach he chose in Tampa Bay 
ran an entirely different program with the opposite approach, a very user-friendly uh, approach in Tampa. And I think Tom Brady wanted that, and he needed a break from Belichick, and, and that's the way it played out. So there's a story today that Josh McDaniels, the man you just mentioned, would be open to coming back, as well as uh, Scott Pioli, who has helped put together those rosters that won so much and so often and, and so many Super Bowls. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it would help. And Josh McDaniels and Belichick were an incredible partnership. Now, Pioli's from that first dynasty in the, in the early 2000s, and he's been out of the league for a while, but uh, he obviously looks at building a football team the same way as Belichick does. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a way for Robert Kraft. I never thought that Belichick was definitely done, even after losing to the Jets, even after finishing 4-13. and I just thought when push came to shove, particularly if he was willing to surrender control of the roster, which apparently he is, that Kraft would, for lack of a better expression, chicken out. And I just don't think Robert Kraft, it's going to be very difficult for him to fire a guy who's won six Super Bowls and nine AFC championship games. So I I think it's going to be very interesting. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. So Belichick could have made it easy. We're talking to Ian O'Connor wrote the book Belichick. Ian, he could have made it easy and said, guys, I think my time's done here. Uh, But he's not making it easy. He says, I'll give up some control here to stay here. I think, do you think a part of it is his two sons are coaching with him and what will happen to them? Well, yeah, and they don't want to move either. And the other thing is, I mean, Belichick has built so much there. He doesn't want to leave. Everyone assumed he wanted to go someplace and get a good young quarterback and and build a championship team from from scratch, so to speak. But but no, I, I think he wants to stay. That's his job. He built that program. And I think he wants to break Don Shula's record right there. And so he's made it difficult on Robert Kraft, and I'm not surprised that he has. So uh... – the stories about him going to San Diego, that's a rebuild situation. Uh, I think the the thing that he could walk into if he does, in fact, get fired would be Dallas. If uh, McCarthy's in and out and won, would he go to, like, would Jerry Jones take a shot at another bill? It's a very interesting situation there, Brian. And I, I think there's no way Bill Belichick is going to work for an owner who holds a press conference after every game right outside the locker room. So he's going to have to have a conversation with Jerry Jones about that. Parcells had enough trouble dealing with that in Dallas, but Belichick, there's just no way. That's not sustainable. Hey, one thing that should be pointed out, by playing hardball here, if Belichick forces Kraft to fire him, he's a free agent. So when he goes to the next place, that next place doesn't have to send draft pick compensation back to New England. Interesting. And, so, and I think Belichick wants to go somewhere where they're not losing a first or second round pick. He wants that asset. So it makes sense in that context as well. So one thing that I've talked to Bob Kraft about and talked to people close to him is he really kept the lid on that relationship. He doesn't want the credit, but it should be known. And if you did your research reveal that he was the one refereeing a lot of this to keep these guys intact because he knew these two need to work together. And do you think on some level – he never got the credit he deserved as an owner because Belichick has rang up what he rang up, and Brady is who he is. Do you think Belichick relishes the cha- excuse me, Kraft relishes the challenge of doing it again with someone who's a little bit more appreciative of his presence? Yeah, he might, but he also understands 
if Belichick goes somewhere else and, and wins, it's it's not going to look good for, for Robert Kraft. There are times where Belichick would walk by Kraft in the hallway and not even say hello. So Robert, Robert Kraft dealt with a lot. And it is a joke that guy's not in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure how Jerry Jones got into the Hall of Fame ahead of Robert Kraft. But, yeah, he, he did a lot of refereeing and probably did not get enough credit behind the scenes for just keeping that Belichick-Brady relationship intact for, for two decades. Yeah, and and I think that if there was going to be a hire, do you believe that Vrabel is a natural, O'Brien is a natural, is somebody else out there? I mean, McDaniel obviously failing with the Raiders uh, and Denver is eliminating himself, but do you think somebody else is there to take over? Like uh, Vrabel would be a home run. That that would be a great hire if 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 he shakes free from from Tennessee. I think O'Brien. There's no way he didn't do the job he did this year with the offense. There's no way that uh, he has put himself in position to get that job. McDaniel's been fired twice now as a head coach. I don't think so. Vrabel is the home run hire. Brian Flores is another guy raised in that Patriot system. Did a pretty good job in Miami. Had some issues there. Uh, So, obviously, he's in uh, Minnesota now as the defensive coordinator. But he was raised in the Belichick way, the Patriot way. So, I think he'd be a factor as well. So your gut, Ian O'Connor, after all the years of research that you did, the book that you put together, now we're at the point of a potential fracture. Where, do, where does Ian O'Connor's money lie if you were a betting person? Listen, he's now the head coach of the Patriots. Now, in 10 minutes, he might not be. But I would say the Patriots. I think that Kraft, if Bill, Bill made a major concession yesterday publicly. He, first of all, he never talked about his contract. He did that. But he also suggested now if somebody else wants to run the roster, I might be okay with it. I can't believe he said that. But he did say it. And so if I had to put $100 on it right now, and I'd probably lose the 100 but I would say next year he's the head coach of the New England Patriots. Love it. Uh, Ian, thanks so much. Uh, it, 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 show, it, it shows you already how much he wants to keep the job. I don't think he's maneuvering to get fired. I think it shows he wants to keep the job. It's going to make it very tough for Robert Kraft. Uh, and last, lastly, real quick, Tiger Woods is no longer has a relationship with Nike. I did an interview with Phil Knight when his book came out, Shoe Dog, and it was so clear how much Tiger meant to him. Uh, and famously, when he got in all his trouble, Phil Knight was the first one to call him. Why do you think they're leaving each other now with his son, with him now more beloved than ever, I would argue, and his son emerging? That's a great question, and uh, nobody has meant more to Nike other than Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. And even just that the chip shot on 16 in 2005 at the Masters, the, the logo hanging there on the lip and the swoosh and, and going into the hole. How much money did he make for Nike just on that one sequence at Augusta National? So I never thought this divorce would happen, but he doesn't play golf that much anymore. And even though he looks a little healthier this year and might play some more tournaments, he's he's at the end of his career so I think that's why the partnership is dissolving. Pretty simple. All right. Uh, I want you to hear uh, just a little bit from last night's Michigan win. They pick up the national championship and maybe Jim Harbaugh's last game in college. Cut 29. Harbaugh has dodged questions about his future, saying, I hope to have one. He did tell us, I, I believe he loves Michigan. I believe he wants to be there. He knows what kind of offer he'll get. For now, he is enjoying every second coaching his alma mater to a national championship. It's a polarizing figure. There are people out there that believe that whatever Michigan does is tainted. That's up to you to decide. But hail, hail Michigan. They are the champions of college football 2023. Final score 34-13. Does he stay? No. No. 
I, I talked to a source very close to uh, Jim Harbaugh last year who told me how badly he wanted back into the NFL. The guy was a play away from winning a Super Bowl. He wants to finish that job. Now that he's finished the job at Michigan, they've climbed the mount. And the NCAA being all over his back is just another reason to get out of there. So he, I, I would be absolutely shocked if he's not a head coach in the NFL next season. Raiders? Yeah, that's a, that's a good fit. It's a really good fit. Now, Chargers? I think you want to you want to go someplace where there's a quarterback, and the Raiders right now don't have one. The Chargers do. And so I, I think Jim knows he has to have the quarterback. So uh, the Raiders are go, going to be tempting. And, hey, listen, uh, Jim Harbaugh just hired Tom Brady's agent, Don Yee. Tom Brady's involved with Mark Davis, the Raiders owner. So that, that makes a lot of sense, except they don't have a quarterback, and that, that would give me a lot of pause. The other thing would be Antonio Pierce is the sentimental favorite to get that job. He called every single head coach he had from Coughlin on down to say, help me keep this. He finished over 500, uh, and I think that a lot of people would like to see him get that job this time. That's right, and I think Pierce deserves it. I really do. So I hope he gets the job. If he doesn't, that would mean to me they probably feel like they're getting Jim Harbaugh. So I think it would be Pierce or Harbaugh there. But but Jim's going to have options. And like you said, if McCarthy loses to the Packers, which I don't see happening, but if somehow that does happen, I think I think Jerry Jones is going to make a change. And yeah, Belichick on the open market, if he gets there, and Harbaugh, it's going to make for a fascinating two or three weeks. I bet you Parcells picks up the phone and says, hey, wait a second, you really want to go work for Jerry Jones? I don't know. They, I'm not sure that <laughs> I think, worked. I, I think Parcells enjoyed it. I just know he didn't enjoy the weekly press conferences. Yes. <laughs> and, and so he likes Jerry Jones, he but does? he did not like that part. And Belichick, he cannot have an owner contradicting things he's saying down the hallway in the press conference room outside the locker room. He just can't have that. So I don't know how that's going to work, but Jerry's got to mm-hmm. be Jerry. It's his team. So we'll see how it plays out. All right, Ian, uh, your next project is? Uh, book on Aaron Rodgers. I'm working on it right now. It should come out next August. And uh, he stays in the news. So he creates his own news cycles and, uh, so hopefully uh, people will see it for what it's intended to be, and that is a defining portrait of probably the most famous American athlete that doesn't really have that defining book about him yet. So hopefully that's what this is. Absolutely. I'm, no doubt it will be. Ian O'Connor, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. We'll see if your prediction is accurate. I get the sense it is. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And I know you're on banking committees and both sides look to you for advice, Jamie, but is it true that you are supporting Nikki Haley? I am. I didn't come out supporting her. What I came out and said is I think she'd make a good president. I do. You know, she's conservative. I think she'd be a good choice. I think if you were a Republican and she was there, I think she'd be a very good choice. And I... I was thinking at the time that, you know, if you were finding Biden versus Haley, that would be a good thing. For the uh, same Jamie, reasons you can talk about all different things. So, uh, and I think she, she's a, a, a qualified person, whether or not you agree with all her policies or not. So, Jamie Debra knows make commitment, but the J.P. Morgan president and all-times uh, guru, according to some, they got into high-end investing. Uh, he is, uh, says he's worried about the border. 
And that was the most intriguing thing yet. Worried about the border. When you're a president of Wall Street, excuse me, when you're running Wall Street, yeah, president of J.P. Morgan, and you're worried about the things that we're worried about, everyday people, the people that uh, El Paso are worried about, that Tucson are worried about, Eagle Pass are worried about, because it it flooded into Manhattan. It flooded into Martha's Vineyard. Uh, They're seeing what's happening to these states. They're seeing the anger that is generating the money that it costs. Now what they're trying to do in New York City is say after a certain amount of time, we've got to kick you out of the hotels. That's it. We've got to get you out of the tents. We can't put you up, especially if you're single male. You know what they're doing? Moving in front of the parks that we were putting them up for free. And then they refuse to leave when the cops come. I'm not sure why the cops just don't get rid of them. They get rid of you and I. I'm not really sure. I hope to see everyone. January 21st, Rialto Theater in beautiful Juliet, Illinois. Uh, It's uh, Fox Nation co-presenting history great from the start. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.